Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the City of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. They have a lesson of their own happening right at this time as well. But I am super proud of every single one of you that are here live and in person because you looked at the clock this morning and you said, I don't care. I'm getting up, I lost an hour of sleep, and I'm still coming to church. So give yourself a, a, a golf clap, right? There we go. That's, that's what it's deserving of. That's good. Those of you who are at home right now watching online, we get it, all right? You could have been here, but you're at home. No. It's good to be able to be a church right now that not only has an in-person opportunity to gather inside, but also to connect with those of you who are traveling and at home, staying distantly safe as much as possible. It is so fun to hear where people are joining us online from. So even if you're watching right now, jot in whatever form you're watching in, whether it's Facebook, YouTube, or even our church online platform at live.refugeoc.com, and you can connect with us. And uh, it's just, it's really good to be in church with you. There was a season about a year ago, this was the Sunday where everything changed. This is where everything, when we heard Disney was closing, we said, okay, maybe we should take take note. Um, and there were a few weeks, I'm not going to lie, if I, can, if I can give you a little bit of um, perhaps confessional, there were a few weeks, I'm like, this is not bad. This is nice to have a little bit of a break. We're always in the Sunday business gathering people. It's okay to have, have a break, right? And it's okay for me to feel like that. But man, it's been nice to be able to see people again. It's been nice to gather as much as possible, as safely as possible, and keep church happening. But it is good to, uh, good to be with you. Hey, there's ways for you to connect, find information out at Refuge. Every single week we talk about this. Could be an old hat trick for you. But if you go to refugeoc.com forward slash weekly, the weekly is our online version of what some churches would call like a bulletin. This is your way to stay up to date with what's happening. It gives announcements about what's to come. There is announcements that will be coming this week that we are prepping about our Easter week. So the Holy Week is on the way. We are at the fourth Sunday of Lent today. There's two more Sundays in Lent. In two weeks, we have Palm Sunday. In three weeks, we have Easter. It's just going to be an exciting opportunity. We're doing two services that day just to wet your whistle as you're excited about Easter. What do you want to do? How do you plan that day? Are you figuring out where you're going to do Easter brunch, etc.? But we want to make sure that you have an opportunity to gather with us and worship for Easter season. So we'll be putting out information this week about that. But there's all kinds of information online, ways for you to connect, ways for you even to give. We are super grateful for your generosity, trusting us as a church, not only here in the city of Orange, but in our county, our state, and even around the world. It is fun to meet missionaries that we connect with and have a relationship with, hear stories about what they're doing. I got a, a letter. This is, this is how cool it is these days. Like, there's people that still send letters. We, have, we support a, a missionary family over in the Philippines, and they sent this update letter this week. And it's fun to see, see pictures and hear things, and I bet because they send a letter and not just an email. Because sometimes we, am I the only one that just bypasses emails at times? You're like, oh, I'm not listening. I'm not reading that. But I got this letter, and it was just so fun to hear how, even in the midst of pandemic, God has continued to be faithful to them as we just a small part of their story, get to connect with the ministry that God is doing in the Philippines. And so 
what you trust us with in your generosity and your giving here at Refuge is not just to be a self-serving entity. We want to make sure that we extend God's blessing beyond and out into the world. And so if you are interested in giving, there's ways to do that. There's a text to give option. If you have, if you have come prepared to give this morning with either cash or check, we can take that. Find one of our team members, our pastors, and we would love to uh, make sure that it gets deposited with our weekly deposit. And then the, the quickest, the safest, and the easiest way to give is always online through our online giving app called Tithely. And so if you, uh, you find information on the screen, I think, behind me or even online, there might be some, uh, a link that will come there you can hit and you can find connection with our online giving opportunity. So thank you. Thank you for the ways that you trust us and want to be a part of what God is doing in Orange and beyond. All right, you guys ready? Let's go to John. The book of John, chapter 3. I saw this on the list this week for the lectionary, which is this guide that we use every single week that helps us understand what scripture should we look at as a church, and we connect with churches all around the world that are reading these exact same passages, and the New Testament reading, the gospel reading for today is from the book of John, and I knew it was on the list And I'm saying, I don't know if I want to deal with it because it contains the most famous passage of Scripture ever. It's that one. You know the one I'm talking about, but it doesn't begin there. So our reading today begins in verse 14. And this is how the gospel writer John starts the story out that we will read this morning. He begins in verse 14 and he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Verse 16. Don't ignore it. It's right there. I don't care what version you memorize this in. Let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does Evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whosoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And that concludes our reading for today. John chapter 3, 14 through 21. You got to love a good scripture passage that begins with snakes. Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? And if you have one of those Bibles that they they call them the red letter Bible, everything that Jesus said is highlighted in red and everything else is black text. And you can hear that it's Jesus who's talking. And why in the world would he start with this story about snakes? Well, you got to back up a little bit and figure out the context, because if we're dropping in at verse 14, there at least is 13 verses that we don't know about what was happening in the first 13 verses of John. And then you got to step back further, like what was happening in the first two chapters of John. And when we zero in on that, we see an exciting moment that happens in the middle of the night as chapter 3 begins. 
this is when a guy named Nicodemus, you might have heard of him. He's a little fellow in the New Testament that comes and knocks on the door where Jesus is staying in the middle of the night. Because Nicodemus has a little bit of a reputation to upkeep. And there's no way that he's going to find himself talking to Jesus in the plain light of day. Because he's a religious leader. He's one of those Jewish people that know the law really well. And he can't find himself hanging out with Jesus because he doesn't want his friends to know that he is listening to this rabbi from Nazareth that everyone's talking about. But when Nicodemus knocks on the door in the middle of the night and talks to Jesus, he's like, we know you're from God because no one can be doing these things that you've been doing. All of chapter 2 is these recounting stories of the miracles of what Jesus has been doing as he walks and talks and when he's with his disciples, he encounters people. But each of us know those stories as well. The Gospels are full of them. We hear the stories of what Jesus does when he shows up. Why is it that when Jesus shows up into a town, everybody, including the scumbags, want to hang out with him? And I know that's a tense word, but you're like, why would you say that? Because apparently when Jesus walked into town, everyone could sense that he was not there to shame them, but that he was there to bring good news. There was something different about Jesus when he showed up on the scene. So Nicodemus, late at night, knocks on the door. We know you're from God, but can you explain a few things for me? And when he asked Jesus to explain a few things, Jesus goes into this discourse that eventually we get to this moment of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Some of you might know a word as begotten, right? His only begotten son. But before he tells that story, he tells the story about snakes on poles being lifted up. And you're like, hold on a second. Did we just take a quick left turn in scripture? Why the snake thing? I, didn't, I don't remember that one. Well, this is a story that Jesus is calling back to the Old Testament because he's talking to a guy who knows the Old Testament better than anybody. He's a Jewish leader. He would have known the scriptures from the past. And so Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, do you remember the story back in Numbers? where the people were grumbling and complaining and talking bad about Moses, and they were talking bad about God. And what happens when they do that? There's these venomous snakes that entered the camp where the people were, and people were dying. They were being sick. They were getting sick, and it was not going well for the Israelites. And then God said to Moses, all right, here's what you should do. Because finally the people woke up to their senses and said, ah, Moses, help us. It's like they never got a clue from all the other times that they disobeyed God. Moses, what do we do? These snakes are killing us. Literally, they're killing us. And so God said to Moses, oh, Moses, if you get a snake on a pole and you lift it up and everybody who looks at it will be healed. I know. It sounds crazy. It sounds weird. I don't know if you've noticed this, next time you go to your doctor, or perhaps you notice a, an icon or an emblem or a logo on, on most of our, our medical industry, there's an image of a pole with a snake wrapped around it. And you're like, wait a second, is Moses setting up the entire medical industry? Probably not. I don't think he had that forethought. But we used images like that even in our current day to remember what has happened in the past. And you're like, oh, all the medical people are like Christians? Probably not. But we remember stories that help us. There's even stories in mythology that, that point to this kind of a moment. 
But when Moses tells the story, and when Moses jots it down, this is why Jesus is telling the story to Nicodemus that night. Do you remember what God did to the people that time? When they couldn't get out of the situation and get healed, he had to wrap the snake on a pole and lift it up. And I bet Nicodemus was waking up that night to what Jesus was up to. And then Jesus takes it a step further. He says, just as that happened, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And then we get the discourse of John chapter 3, verse 16. But John chapter 3, verse 16 is very famous, so famous that we don't listen to it. We don't pay attention. It's everywhere. Back when we would, like, go to football games, like, people would have it in end zones. Um, there are, like, football players that would have the dark stuff under their eyes, and they would even put it under their eyes, the whole John three sixteen, all that kind of stuff. It's so famous that we don't even give it the time of day. But have you ever considered the nth degree of what John 3.16 is all about? For God so loved the world. That's the portion that sometimes I like because I want him to love me. I want him to love me in spite of the things that I've done. I want him to love me even though I have made mistakes. Even though... If you were to look at the record, you're like, how in the world do you stack up? But what I don't like about John 3.16 is because it includes all of you. I thought God was just talking to me. I wanted him to put in there, for God so loved Brenton, he sent his son. But apparently that's not it. And I'm sad to say the rest of you get included. And it really messed up the party I was having. But if you think about it, for God so loved the world, and if I were to ask it in a different way, who is it that God doesn't love? Have you seen it from that angle? If it's true, if that interaction that night is true with Jesus and Nicodemus and they're explaining some things, if God so loves the world, well, then who doesn't he love? And that's a hard one. Because I've written people off all the time. And again, this is like confessional hour. I'm not sure if you've done this before. I'm not sure if you've ever prejudged someone. Perhaps they've cut you off in the freeway, and you know that person's going to hell. At least that's what you want, right? They took your parking space. You have consigned them to the pits of Sheol. If they have offended you, they stabbed you in the back, if they've broken relationship with you, if they don't measure up to your understanding of what life is supposed to be like, if they think differently than you, if they have an entirely different worldview when it comes to anything, sometimes we distance ourselves from those people and we say there's no possibility that God can love them because God loves me. And yes, God does love me, and apparently he loves you too, and I'm still coming okay with that. I say that in jest, but isn't that true? How often it is that we have distanced ourselves from people. We love John 3.16, but do you know what the early church, their passage, their phrase that they hung on to, if they had football games, if they had football players with like the black lettering and all that kind of stuff, you know what they would have put on there? It was a passage that said, love your enemies. 
for the first 300 years of the church, after Jesus has died on the cross and he's risen from the grave, and everyone now is telling the story about this person that has changed everything. The story from there is, is love your enemies. Because when we read John 3.16, we don't get a sense that God is in the business of loving his enemies because God loves the world, including my enemies. And I don't like that, if I can be really honest. I want God to treat my enemies the way that I treat them. But that's not how he does things. And it's really unnerving. But apparently he's God and I'm not. And if I had set the world in order, it would look differently and it probably would have internally combusted by now. But we watch how God operates and he says, I am going to love the world so much that I'm going to send my son. And for us, the fourth week of Lent, as we approach the cross of Calvary, as we head towards Easter and the resurrection story, we are still in this time where we are reconciling our own depravity, the things that we have done that have kept us far from God. But we want to remind ourselves in our mind all the time that God loves me and I'm in, right? But God has that same conversation and that same interaction with anybody he, he wants to. And if you're honest, anyone who wants to have the conversation with him. If you take it to the next step, go to verse 17. This is the one that those of you who grew up in Sunday school, if you were to rem you memorize verse 17, you got like extra credit. Because everyone knew 16, but 17, this is it. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Isn't that interesting how sometimes the world... And I don't know how you split that line. Who's in, who's out. Who's a believer, who's not a believer. The world. But when we understand the writings here from this gospel writer, that God doesn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to give them a chance for hope, to give them a chance for life. We have this story about snakes on a pole that get lifted up and Jesus draws the connection that's going to happen to me, and it's going to happen to me in a few weeks when we celebrate Easter and Good Friday and the moments where Jesus' death and resurrection is the hope that we have every single day of our life. But I don't want to just live with, like, God loves me. I'm also challenged with the fact that God loves the world, and he doesn't condemn the world. But if I can be real honest, Christians are really good at condemning the world. Brothers and sisters of mine out in the, the universe, the Twitterverse, the social mediaverse, what have you, have staked claim on who's in and who's out. And we have proclaimed shame and judgment and condemnation in places that aren't ours to give. And so when I come across these verses, and as we continue to read through today's passage, Go to verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And then he goes into the discourse about light and darkness and how our propensity is to darkness. I don't know if you have found that to be true, but that is true. It is true in my life. There's moments where I'm tempted, that I'm on the verge of heading towards places of darkness and I want to I go after the light, the light that we hear about here in John's gospel. And it's not easy. 
It's not easy to be people of the light. It's not easy to understand that for God so loved the world. A pastor friend who told me years ago that he spent six months every single Sunday preaching from John 3.16. And I thought, that's crazy. But he challenged, he says, can you, can you consider how powerful this word is? This passage is that God is not in the business of condemnation. God is not in the business of hate. God is in the business of love. And if he's in the business of love, then apparently I should be as well. And that's really hard as well. Because I, I want to write people off. I get really upset. This is probably why I haven't been on social media all that much lately. Someone asked me, did you see my post? I, I didn't because I'm not doing it right now. Because when I dance in that world, I get really angry. Because people misrepresent God all the time. And I'm not telling you that I got God perfect. I got him down. But like you, I'm doing my best to consider how is it that God is challenging me and stretching me to see things from his angle. I cannot live with my version of God that I had as a kid. God is in the process of constantly giving me opportunities to see him from new angles. There's this really classical phrase that we call sanctification, and it's a process. I may have said yes to Jesus so long ago, and some of you have said yes to Jesus before, and maybe there's even some of you who might be watching online or even here today that you wonder, am I still saying yes to Jesus? But when I wake up in the morning and I say yes to Jesus and I consider John 3.16, not just for what it shows up on the football field, on football screens, TV screens, ESPN, whatever it is, because God loves the world. And he is sending people like you and me into it to remind the world of God's love. It's like telling people about your favorite restaurant. I've used this analogy before here at, Re at Refuge, that you have found that perfect place that you love to eat at. And you can't wait to take people to it because you want them to experience what you experience. And when they order what you ordered and they don't like it, I don't like them. Just little joke. But you know what I'm saying? You go, you take them to places you're like, I want you to experience how good this is. And this is the exact same thing that we have the opportunity to do when it comes to God. I want people to experience God for who he is. I don't want them to have hang-ups from the past or guilt or show up super burdened like, oh, I gotta, I gotta get my act together and then God will finally deal with me. Because when I read this passage, I see that God really wants to deal with his people from the beginning. And he's so committed to them that he will do anything. He will do anything. He will pay the price. Have you ever been out? Um, I don't know if you've, you've had this moment before. Have you ever been out to dinner with someone or people and you're not really sure how you're going to pay the bill? How it's going to work? This friend in college who... It'd be like in, in college, so many people go out because you hope that we can divide and conquer the bill. It's ultimately what it's all about. But when you go out to eat, I, this one friend, we would all go down the line and pay the bill. It'd be one check. We hadn't heard of this whole thing. We could split the check. That, would, that came later in life. 
we're all there trying to pay the bill together. And we'd go around, everyone would be like, okay, what are, uh, I remember what I ordered. Here's the money for it, and here's some tip. And he would wait to the end, and he was like, how much is left? I'm like, hold on a second. How much is left? You pay your part, bro. All right? This ain't charity time. You've ever gone out, to, and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. Or you order something extravagant, or you're like, I, have you ever been in, in a moment where someone else pays the bill? Isn't that a beautiful feeling? It's so beautiful, especially when it's expensive. I wonder what it means to be in relationship with God with the understanding that he's constantly paying my bill. The moments where I get it wrong, he still pays the bill. The moment where I messed up in that relationship, he still pays the bill. I give a lot of um, stories and examples from my life, from what happens in my house. My wife challenged me last week, you tell a lot of stories about that one particular kid, and we all know who I'm talking about, okay? I'm not going to tell any stories about her today. There's only two choices now. I just said the gender. But um, I can't help but see what God's doing in my life from the vantage point of my house. And I don't, for those of you who have kids or you've been around kids, kids are not helpful. They are expensive. They are, they are messy. They do not put their clothes away. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. They constantly ignore the standards of living that we have established in our house. Like if there could be a wall of list of things to do, and they, there's not a day that goes by that they don't mess it up (laughs) and I've had this like now in this stage of my life that I'm in I'm like I wonder how often I did that to my own parents wonder how often I never took I never gave um, gratitude for the things that they did because I am constantly making up for my kids like we have this rule in our house it's not like a really hard one the dishes. Like the, like, and our kids, we, we established this thing called child of the day. Some fourth grade teacher that our kids had said, you should do this. And we're like, that sounds great. So it rotates. There's a child of the day. Child of the day gets lots of perks. Who gets to sit where in the car? Who gets to help choose what kind of genre of food we eat? Or who gets to play with the dog more? You know, things like that. But then there also comes responsibility with child of the day, like dishes. And there's a descending quality that happens based upon the age of child in my house. So the older child, she can kind of get it done, then it goes down and doesn't happen as well. But in our house, um, I, my, my oldest, she, she probably uh, complains about it the most. She said, why do I have to keep doing these? I said, you will do dishes until you are no longer unhappy about doing dishes. And she's like, when I'm finally unhappy about them, do I still have to do them? I said, yes, because you won't be unhappy anymore. Of course. Like, that's what it's all about. Like, the dishes, and there's, like, days that the dishes don't get done. And I'm tempted. I have had the thought. I don't know. This is me. I've had the thought of waking them up at, like, 11 p.m. Like, hey, you didn't do the dishes. Could we come down and get those done real quick? I know you've been sleeping for a few hours, but I don't care. You didn't do the dishes. Some of us have opinions of God, like that's how he would treat us. 
hey, you better get your act together before I'm kind to you. You better get your act together and shape up before I can possibly give you any ounce of love. But what I love about this passage today, it takes my version of God and twists it and says, well, I see him for who he really is. Because when he interacts with Nicodemus at night and John records this story for all of us to hear 2,000 plus years later, that God is not holding my things against me, that he loves me, he loves you, and he loves the world. That passage is so famous, for God so loved the world. That might be a helpful stanza that you would play over and over in your mind as you would read through the pages of Scripture. You come to portions of Scripture that you don't understand. You're like, why would God work like that? Why would he do that? And if you could just say it over and over in your head, for God so loved the world, it would help me understand portions of the Old Testament that I don't get because I would have done things differently if I was in charge. And God says, it's a good thing you're not in charge, Brenton, because you don't get it. You think I'm still going to treat you for the sins that you had from years ago. Because the dishes didn't get done. Because you didn't put your clothes away. And we think that's how God acts, and it's not. And the funny thing is, is, as days progress with my own kids, I forget about it. Because if I didn't, man, I would be really messed up. I would keep the record of wrongs and then pull them out every time. Oh, you, oh, you want like TV time? Oh, you want time on that device? Or you want to play that video game? Oh, you want... You want some free, oh, you want some, you want some money? And I would pull the list out and be like, no, 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 you, your, your list of liabilities is too much for me to treat you the way that you want me to treat you right now. Because have you seen your list? And we think that that's how God works with you and me. And he says, for God so loves the world, including me, including you, and including everybody who's outside this building. And if he loves the world, and if he's inviting me into his kingdom, he wants me, he wants you, he wants us as a church to remind the world of how much he loves them. Because yesterday in our house, there was a child who was upset at one of her siblings. And I said to her, you will catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. And she says, I don't want to catch butterflies. And I said, that's not what I said. I said, if you're sweet, you probably will get more things done. She's like, it was just making me so angry. And sometimes we can get so angry at the world because they're not acting the way we're acting. They're not saying things the way we would say them. We get really frustrated at their worldview or their politics or anything. And we say, how in the world can God love them? And then I'm convicted with John 3.16. Because apparently, God loves the world. And if he loves the world, he's calling me to love the world. And I'm calling you, calling us as a church, let's do our best to love the world. Because when they experience the sweetness of who he is, there's going to be some lives changed. There's going to be some hope restored. There's going to be relationships that are reconciled.
because God loves the world. Let's pray. Jesus, you are amazing. This passage challenges us because we don't always get you right. We sometimes siphon our theology and our philosophy about who you are and how your dad works, and we get sometimes we're how we mess that up. But God, today you are speaking to us and reminding us of your love for this world. I pray for those in this crowd, those who are listening, that are even remembering moments and interactions from this past week where we could have done it better or we could have represented you better. Help us to live into this week, lean into this week, and remind this world that we are a part of how much you love them, how much you love us, how much you love each of us. May that be the guiding light that directs our activities as a church and as a people. Because this world that we live in needs you. We know that. We're disappointed at times, and sometimes we turn towards places of hate, and we say things we shouldn't. We even have thoughts about others that puts us in direct conflict with how you see them. You have created this world, and you are doing everything possible to love it, even sending your son, which still to this day is an unnerving thought. Why in the world would you do that? but yet you offered your son freely to bring hope, to bring life, that as he's lifted up on the cross, we find hope, we find life. Help us as we see your fingerprints this week as evidence of how you're working, as a reminders in our souls and our minds of your goodness and your love for this world, and help us to show the goodness and sweetness of your kingdom as each of us make ourselves available. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand and worship with our worship team for one final song. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at refugechurchoc. We hope to see you again soon.